At Aplan Rural, we can offer insurance tailored to the rural, personal and commercial requirements of the farming community. Aplan Rural, taking care of your farm. Authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm FD Head of Business Alex Black. Don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday so make sure you're subscribed. This week in the latest on our Farming Can campaign we're taking a look at rural communities. Emily Ashworth has been catching up with Anne Jones to take a look at the Women's Institute and how vital it has been for rural women. But first this week marks the inaugural Great British Calf Week to celebrate the progress the industry has made since the launch of the GB Dairy Calf Strategy in 2020. With dairy farmers and processors taking action, some beef farmers have found new opportunities in raising dairy beef calves. Matt Roberts, who farms alongside his father in North Wales, spoke to me about how it works for his business. Before 2019, we were buying in um, forward continental stores, basically, um, fattening them up. But by combining them in about 15 months old and then taking them through some as fat, well, as quick as we could, but some were staying on till 30 months. But we buy the majority September, October uh, in the for the winter time and fatten them by end of January because the shed that they went into we use for lambing. So that shed had to be empty by the end of January. And um, we had a couple of years where we were buying the stores. September, October, like I said, and by the time we get to January and want to sell them, the beef price had plummeted and we lost a lot of money in it. So 2019, we were making a decision we were going to come out with a beef job. But then we thought, with with 1,400 ewes on the farm as well, did we really want to up them anymore? And would, I, I, I didn't want to lose, the, it's not just the, the cattle, the cattle muck and that, it fitted in well with our system. So then uh, Jim Holden from Morrison's, who we deal a lot with, and my dad's known for years, so you know, we have a good trust relationship with him. He said, try some dairy beef. He said, try a batch of 50, see how you get on. You know, if you don't like it, it's fine. So we took a batch on that year and we run. We did have some forward stores as well. And a lot of people said, oh, you'll have a job running the both side by side because you've got them big continental Chardonnays and that, and then you've got these Belgian blues but we didn't look at it like that. If it's going to make money, we're happy to do anything. Um, so we, we ran them and we haven't looked back really. And last year we made the decision. We went all in with the uh, dairy beef scheme. So we have um, 100 calves that come on farm in August and September. And then we'll have a batch that come in in March then. And the idea of the... Uh, August, September ones is they'll have a winter in, go out to grass to graze and grow, then come back in then to fatten and be gone by Christmas the next year. Whereas the March ones will uh, come in for a couple of months, go out for a summer, come in for one winter, and then they will fatten out on the grass, which so only having one winter inside makes them a cheaper option, hopefully. Uh, so that that's basically how we've changed from one system to another and the beef for those who are listening who don't know how the the scheme works i mean from your perspective how 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 does it work can you take us sort of step by step through it 
Yeah, um, so we will put an order in for a batch of 50 calves. They will come on farm then. Uh, they have to be at, on average four months old and 140 kilos on average. Um, they could be mixed males and females unless you specify. And yeah, you get they they are you when those calves come on farm, you get the weights and you get what price those calves are. But those calves, Morrison subsidises that then, and the, the money doesn't come off until you sell them. So say you get a batch of fifty and those calves have cost you twenty five thousand. The first twenty five thousand goes to, straight to Morrison's, and then you get what's left then as your whatever the profit is. But they are then set on a, a minimum price then for when you sell them so uh say a batch of calves be at, uh, their minimum price be 380 but if beef is over 380 you go with that price then so if you can make those calves if you do your sums to, for that set price and can make them pay for that if beef is over that you're on a, at a bonus then uh the stipulates that they are finished by 20 months and on their um basic beef grade so you get if you get a higher grade you get bonuses as well and how does that compare i suppose with um security wise you know knowing that that price is coming in how does that compare beforehand when we were buying those stores and there was no security of what the beef price was going to be and um so it's taken that gamble a bit off the job really and giving us a bit more security i'm not saying yeah that we're making a lot more money but um, because the dairy beef, they're, they're taking more feed to get them to where we want them. So, it, and with food prices cost going up now, we were having to streamline and get these animals to work better. Um, we've had a, we've struggled this winter, I won't lie, um, to fatten what we had on farm. Um, but we've we've had a diet change now. Um, and we speak to a lot of people who are into it on the East Coast and um, we've just had to juggle how we feed them and what we put into them to get them to where we want them, really. So, But with that with that guaranteed price, it gives you something to aim for. and At least, you know, that's the minimum you're going to get for them when they go. So if you can hit that, um, it just it's a lot more security. And I think something that might be on some people's minds if they're, you know, coming from a similar kind of background to, to which you did, uh, might be quality. How have you found the quality of the calves coming in? We have um, have a good relationship with Morrison's, but I've also built up a good relationship with Butelart and with a girl, Gabby, who works for Butelart. So we have a lot of communication and um, we're not afraid to complain. But I think we need to complain because if, if we don't, they don't know, you know, we have to work all work together. So uh, yeah, we've had some batches and we've had some calves that haven't been good enough, but they've stuck by us, to be fair. And yeah, I, I know we'll get a batch of 50. I'm not saying they're an equal 50. There will be some that do lag behind and that, but there are some that will fly. And, you know, um, we can get heifers to finish by 17, 18 months easily. So uh, which is, you know, especially with now we're on the we're part of Morrison's Net Zero. We're one of the project farms for that. So days on farm is a big thing for us. So we need those cattle. If they go over 20 months, it's no good for us because a the cost us a lot of money in feed, but also it goes against our carbon as well. That you know those cattle are uh, the figures on them are not good enough. So um, 
we give a lot of feedback to Butelar and Morrison's and they are improving the scheme all the time because it, it's a it's a big scheme for Morrison's and they want it to work just as much as we do. But they're putting a lot of trust in those subsidising those cattle to, to, so we finish it. So um, they like, you know, the feed, they do listen to the feedback, fair play. How important and how valuable do you think it is integrating the supply chain, you know, from from dairy into into the beef uh, beef supply chain? Uh, I think it's a really massive importance because um, there seems to be a lot more, especially around here, a lot more dairy farmers going in, you know, coming about going into bigger and bigger dairy, keeping more cows. So they've got an output then for those calves, knowing that uh, Butelar need them for the Morrison system. Um, so that you know they know that they've got a market for them and that we're willing to take them on to fatten them so yeah but uh yeah it just gives you the whole link and morrison's can see those calves and know what's on farm ready for the supply chain really and um i suppose if you were speaking to a farmer beef farmer who might be in a similar position to where you were back in 2019 uh seems like another world now before pre-pandemic but you know yeah. they're in that position and they're considering or have the opportunity to go into a scheme like this what would you say to them I say yeah, um, go for it and work with Morrison's because they're there. They will help you a lot. Um, they've helped us, and yeah, you know, we're two years into it now, and we're still learning a lot. These uh, Belgian blues like a lot of feed, um, but once they go out into grass, they, they 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 seem to bloom and grow, but they still need that feed to keep the fatness on them. But yeah, um, but there's always support there. Um, and yeah, if if anyone's thinking of going into it, I would you know try a batch and see how you get on. And you you know we we haven't looked back anyway. Hi, I'm Natalie Wood, Agronomy Operations Manager at Yara UK. Phosphate is important for root growth. Soils have little to no available pea in early spring, and fresh applications become even more important. A foliar application of Yara Vita Magfos K gives an energy boost to the crop, stimulating the growth of roots and consequently shoots. Not only does it give an immediate benefit by way of recovery and repair, it builds resilience, enabling the crop to overcome potential further stresses. For more information, please visit yara.co.uk. Thank you to Matt. Now our next guest is National Federation of Women's Institute's Chair, Anne Jones. Emily Ashworth has been finding out about how vital the WI was and still is to communities across the country. Anne talks us through the organisation's journey through time, from one of their first campaigns looking at sanitation in rural housing to present times when it begs the question, if the WI had not taken off, would there have been a place to go for rural women? We can't talk about the WI without looking back to the beginning and looking at how it really brought women together, probably at a time that they needed it most. Yeah, especially if you live in quite a rural community, similar to the one I live in. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're faced with uh, quite a length between each farm. Um, and the ability to make friends is difficult when you move into an area like that. Uh, because, you know, you haven't got any immediate neighbours that you can just pop around for a cup of coffee. An organisation like the WI brings like-minded women together you know it also helps you know children at school going to chapel yfc the show all of those other things build your strong community but i think particularly for a woman um it's quite a, a nice safe place to go to 
It certainly helped me when I moved here. I moved here nearly 37 years ago now. And it was a time of great loneliness, at a time when people weren't prepared to say they were lonely. Yeah, which people do more now, don't they? They speak yes. about things more, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, it was only afterwards that I realised that it was loneliness. At the time, you don't notice it, you don't... It, there wasn't a tag to it somehow, was there? Yeah. Did you... Had you just had a baby as well, was it? Or were you... Or... Uh, well, no, I, was, I had a baby within about um, 30 months of moving here. Yeah. So that makes you a bit more tied to home as well, because you're mm. not able to go quite as freely. So I thought, can we just talk about maybe a little bit of, you know, the, the growth of the WI... Um, just in terms, because obviously when it started out, it, you know, it, it was just for for rural women. And then, it was, yes. you know, it's grown into this wonderful phenomenon, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, it did start off 1915 in Anglesey. Um, it had come over as an idea from Canada, uh, where it had grown quite quickly there. And a Canadian woman, Madge Watt, came over to this country and... Uh, was involved with the Agriculture Board, uh, and that's how it came about. It didn't come about very easily, to be honest. Um, there was a lot of resistance to it, uh, because it was a society run by men. Um, you know, having an organisation for women, for themselves, was seen as almost a little bit of a threat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was really only by having the support of some men, and especially uh, Mr Nugent Harris, uh, who was involved with the agriculture board, the, the WI really began to grow. Uh, and even in those early days, you know, there were men saying, oh, we're not letting your wife go to something like that, are you? You know, yeah. they saw it as a threat. Uh, well, luckily these days, it's not seen as a threat. Uh, yeah, it started in the middle of World War One, uh, And you can't believe... Um, how difficult it must have been on rural women at that time. Yeah. Because, you know, an awful lot of the men were away in the war uh, and a lot had been lost during the war, so they were never coming back. So you had uh, a lot of young widows um, and, you know, other women who had lost their sons. Uh, so it was a really, really sad, tough time. Mm. Um, so it was just, uh, in a way, it was the right thing at the right time because women needed something they needed something to bring them together to give each other strength and that sounds a bit mad but you know one of the first things that they did during the war uh, was get together um, you know as a, a way of making things to send to the soldiers you know making socks um, scarves anything that they could to support those poor soldiers in the trenches who were you know, in a dreadful, dreadful place. So there's a, a, you know, a lot that they did, even in that first yeah. um, you know, year, 18 months, probably. Yeah. Um, and you just think how quickly it grew. You know, by the, uh, within a year, 66 WIs had opened all over the country. Yeah. Wow. We, hadn't, we didn't have internet. We didn't no. have post wasn't that brilliant. Telephone was almost non-existent. It was telegrams, wasn't it? So how the word got around so quickly yeah. um, always amazes me that uh, you know that there was such a need for it. But I think a lot of it probably was because um, Matchwater connected to the country houses scene. 
where you had a lot of influential women. Yeah. Um, and went to stay with them and then sowed the seed of the WI and what it could do for mm. you know, their staff and the villages around them. And I think that's how it became such a phenomenon. It has changed women's lives. Yeah? Mm. So uh, I think we spoke last time about some of our campaigns um, and how they started in 1920s. Yeah. Um, and that uh, yeah, one of the first ones was about sanitation for rural housing. Yeah. Uh, because you know, it is hard to believe today when you've got several bathrooms in a lot of new houses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that there wasn't an indoor toilet. Yeah. There wasn't running water. Uh, there wasn't a sewerage system for anywhere, apart from very big towns and cities. And even there, there were big areas that had no sewerage. Even in mm. London, there was huge areas without sewerage systems. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, and going on very quickly, we came to really important things like women police officers. Yeah. That was in the early 1920s, uh, because women had been drafted in to be police officers while the men were uh, away fighting yeah. the war, um, and then the men came back and they sort of said, "Right, we don't need them now." Yeah. But women had had a taste for work responsibility. Yeah. And knew they could do that job well. So uh, that was a, a strong campaign we had. And I'm very proud of that one because yeah. it just shows that laid the foundation of how a society would look at a woman. Uh, and I know it was several years before they became widespread that we had women police constables. And I'm really delighted by today. They are police constables. Mm. They are not WPCs. Mm. They are recognised for what they are, an officer of the law. Yeah. It's quite ironic in some ways because in many areas we've come a long way and in others not so much. Uh, it's extremely sad uh, because I did look it up. 1943 was the uh, year we had a resolution calling for equal pay yeah. for women. Yeah. Uh, equal pay for equal work was the wording. And I think that was so relevant because women had in that time, you know, 1939 to 1945, been doing men's jobs uh, and why should they go back to be paid so much less but you and i know that today there isn't an equality in yeah. women's pay. yeah luckily it's much better than it was but it's not equal yeah. now, people ask me sometimes yeah am i a feminist uh, and i say yes i am i'm not a, a bra burning uh, men bashing yeah. feminist but i am a feminist i, I believe in women's rights uh, and i yeah. believe inequality for women um, and to enable them to achieve the best that they can so to me that is feminism yeah supporting each other as women yeah absolutely and I think just um you know there's huge connotations that come around that that phrase isn't it that term of being a feminist and I think sometimes as yeah. well why wouldn't we be because we're we're women and we're women exactly. who have choices and want choices and uh, I try to uh, make young women especially feel proud to have uh, feminist roots in them yeah. rather than feel embarrassed by it or mm. um, feel that it's a threat to men yeah. and make yeah. men realise that it's not a threat to them either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The growth rate of the WI was really quite incredible, wasn't it? Can you tell us about the number of groups formed within that initial first period? By the end of the war, uh, there were uh, 12,000 members Wow. In 
773 WIs. So yeah, during one of the worst times in history when you think about it. How many WIs did you say, sorry then? Absolutely not. And I think that's the that, that feels like the unique thing about the WI to me. You know, it's this it's a constantly evolving yeah. you know organization that just kind of grows so naturally a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I'm really proud of is the way that our members have adapted to the pandemic actually. Yeah. Um because you know, they have worked their socks off in their communities. Um supporting NHS workers, making scrubs, making face masks, delivering meals, doing all that supportive work, you know, mm. uh, making sure that um, neighbours were vulnerable and were shielding, were looked after, got their shopping, um, just called them and checked they were okay. You know, just the, the basic, basic stuff that people take for granted, but unless you've got family and support around you, you know, it, it wouldn't happen. So... Your members have been incredible all over the country doing that. Uh, and it just proves to me how good rural people are at supporting each other when the chips are down. But also, what I've loved about them is that, you know, at the beginning we were all, oh gosh, when are we going to get back to being face-to-face? You know, we can't meet, we can't do this, we can't do that. They've embraced technology. Mm. They yeah. really have embraced it. Um, you know, Zoom meetings uh, for individual little WIs, happening up and down the country again at the moment because it's a little bit iffy. Yeah. And they were thinking, oh, just to be on the safe side. And rather than being in a hall where you've got to have the doors all open and the windows open in January, yeah. let's have a meeting on Zoom again. Yeah. Um, I'm just loving it. Joining yeah. meetings all over the country, not yeah. just in their little village. Yeah. Um, and even forming, uh, which is groundbreaking for us, virtual WIs. So yeah. there have been... I think nine in total have now started where you can join. It doesn't matter where you live. You don't have to live in the UK. You can be overseas. Uh, it doesn't matter what your life is because you know, sometimes you cannot physically get to a WI meeting because you've got young children. You've got um, a family member that you're caring for. You work shifts and you've barely got into the house and you'd have to go back out again. Uh, you're disabled it's difficult to get to a place. You know, all those things, virtual WIs get rid of all those barriers for women joining. Yeah. Uh, and yes, eventually they may occasionally meet up, but the idea is that they're a group of like-minded women who will meet on the computer, have speakers, just as we do in a normal WI, have education, mm-hmm. uh, campaign, mm-hmm. but all done at the convenient time for them. So it's embracing technology, which, again, is why we're campaigning, especially in Wales, on making sure that we've got good broadband yeah. and mobile phone in rural areas. Absolutely. Because it makes your community, your rural area, far weaker if you're in a black spot. You know, farming can't exist 
without online access these days. You know, every movement of an animal, uh, every form that you submit to uh, DEFRA or Welsh Government, all has to be done online. You know, even banking these days is mainly online. There are very few banks open in rural areas. It's one of the, it is one of the biggest factors that disrupts general general life, yeah. isn't it, in, in rural communities? Yeah. of community because I think you you our industry is quite unique in terms of of community because I think we've got one of the strongest community you know presence is still going you, you don't find that sort of you know that feeling in many other in many other sectors I don't think you're absolutely right um, I, I look at my own community here in Llandewi and uh, uh, the farming community are the backbone of it uh, and then within that, you have a few organisations that strengthen it. Uh, Women's Institute is definitely one of them um, because it brings the women together, uh, not just for making teas for big events or what have you, uh, but it brings uh, the woman's perspective and uh, very good at organising, to be honest, yeah. uh, women. <laughs> uh, and if you want something done, you, know, you pass it over to the WI and you can guarantee it will be done. Uh, and another one that's very good for organising is the YFC. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, a great movement within the uh, uh, rural community in getting the whole area together. Uh, and I think where both of our organisations work well is that we we don't just have farming members. We have uh, the farmers and the farmers, uh, the women farmers and the farmers' wives. Um, but we also have people who teach or are retired or uh, are accountants or doctors or solicitors, you know, whatever, or work in a shop or whatever, you know. Uh, and the same applies within YFC. Um, the reach now is much wider. It isn't just farmers, sons and daughters that go there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They, they mix in school and you get a, a really good, broad cross-section of society joining. Yeah. So that makes your community stronger. Uh, and if you do want to put a community event on, you've already got a base to work on. Uh, what I find good about farmers in a community is that uh, they support their community. Um, yeah, they're buying power. You know, if, you, if a farmer has a couple of pounds, he tends to spend it locally, be it that in the yeah. agricultural merchants, be that in the village shop or... Mm. Um, in the local supermarket, um, or for the women in the shops that are around them. So it keeps a, a stronger community in that respect, but also keeps the rural towns a little bit stronger because there is a, a real threat to rural towns at the moment. And the pandemic hasn't helped that. The rural towns High Street is really struggling. And you know, part of it is quite understandable because you know, we've been told, don't go out. Uh, don't go shopping, buy your stuff online. Yeah. Um, 
which is all well and good, yeah. um, especially for the pandemic. Brilliant. But we do need to keep these local towns going because there is a, something special about them. And once you've lost them, they're gone forever. And it's part of our, you know, lineage. It's part of our, our history, isn't it? These, these yeah. rural towns that they've got a huge story behind them. Um, exactly. And I think as well, you know, it's like you say, it's all, it's all well and good telling us to, to buy online. and you, But you, you can buy online from, you know, chain chain stores. Yeah. You, you, you can't necessarily do that with all local, smaller no, a lot of, businesses. I have said locally here, a lot of them now are, are realising that they need yeah. to have an online presence. Yeah, that's good. Um, and even though they might not have a, a singing or a singing or a dancing website, um, they use Facebook and social media yeah. quite a bit yeah. to sell their words. And um, yeah, we'll post out or we'll click and collect. Um, so they are trying their best yeah. to embrace both worlds. Good, yeah, yeah, good. Uh, and that's where we need to encourage and support. Yeah, yeah. So again, if you're looking at environmentally, yeah, it makes more sense to buy local. Yeah. Do we really need all these vans driving up and down the countryside? Yeah. Delivering one small item. In a in a humongous box. <laughs> a humongous <laughs> full, box. Full of filling for a tiny. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me on about packaging. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, just in terms of... Um, obviously, you know, it, it's changed over time, but... Encouraging, encouraging skills and encouraging, you know, how, how that's changed. Like in the beginning, I, I used, like you were saying, you know, they're, they're obviously um, making garments and things to send, to send soldiers. And then, yeah. you know, it's, you know, those sort of principles have carried on, haven't they? And obviously... They have, yes. Um, yes. In the beginning, it was a matter of, yes, you supported the world war effort. Um, but it was about upskilling women um, because a lot of women left school at a ridiculously young age mm. with very little education at all. Now, fortunately, uh, that has changed and very few women leave school without having had a fairly decent education. But it's the other skills. Um, uh, it, it's the confidence. Um, it's the ability to chair meetings, to run organisations to stand for parish community councils, county councils, become members of parliament, be um, business leaders, run their own businesses, you know, have the ability to do the accounts and marketing. It's all those other skills that you get from being part of an organisation like the WI because it's that empowerment. Um, it's definitely given me a huge sense of confidence. Yeah, academically, I was okay anyway. Uh, uh, but that confidence in being able to run things and that my voice mattered, mm. um, that I, yeah, my voice was as important as anybody else's voice yeah. on uh, local issues and national issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, I stood for the community council and uh, was on that for 20 years um, before came too busy with WI, to be honest. Um, and although they didn't want me to leave, um, I didn't feel I was home enough to be able to serve my local community as well as I could. That's what you need to do, is serve your local community. But there is still a need for 
today's women um, to learn crafting and cookery skills um, because they're ones that you no longer get even a hint of in school. Um, there are art design classes, but there isn't the basic of uh, good sewing, making your own clothes, make do and mend, um, being creative within your ha own home, you know, making your own soft furnishings, um, making it personalised. And there's a huge demand uh, in the market uh, for handmade personal items. Um, and that skill, a lot of younger women are really enjoying learning and developing. And, and that's where the intergenerational, when you have a WI where you have some older members who have those skills, yeah. uh, are able to pass them on to the younger members mm. who don't have them. But mm. the younger ones pass on the, you know, the uh, skills of using um, computers, your know, smartphones, your mm. iPads, uh, and getting them to get more out of those products that they've got. So it is skill sharing in a nice way. Mm. You don't think that you're learning, but you are. You know, you were saying about the huge demand for handmade things and taking up skills such as sewing or making your own clothes, mm. or even knowing how to, you know, use leftover food, like, imaginatively, whichever. It all, yeah, exactly. it all feeds into this idea of, you know, the buzzword is sustainable, isn't it? Yeah. It all feeds into to each other, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it is about being more sustainable. And uh, those are skills that are taught in school at the moment. Mm. Yeah, it, it is the simple things. Yeah. You know, we were brought up in a time where you didn't have lights on in the day. Yeah. Um, if you were cold, you put on a jumper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm afraid... Uh, the answer today is, if you're cold, you turn up to the heating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you think you can walk around in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> common sense. It's common that. sense, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But, but we don't need to say it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Turn off your tap when you're washing your teeth. Yeah. You know, when you're brushing your teeth, your tap doesn't need to be running, wasting so much water. Yeah. It's little, little things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I say, it's an absolute fortune. Um, the other education, which doesn't feel like education, is uh, raising awareness um, of health issues. In the rural community, sometimes it's harder to have those conversations because you can't access people or you have yes. to catch them, you know, at the auction mart or whatever. Like, it's quite, feels important yeah. that you, well, you know, as women, that we actually do have somewhere to go to be able to raise these oh, issues. And that's why we encourage WIs to have a, a balanced uh, programme for the year so that they include some health specialists um, in their meetings so they will get a diabetes nurse come and talk mm. to them about the science of diabetes, coping with diabetes if you have it, recognising it in somebody else, yeah. Um, yeah. and, and you know, what you can do to make sure that you either avoid it or if you're on the verge of it, not get it mm. um, or if you've got it make sure that you're keeping as healthy as you can you know doing all those things so yes health part is crucial but but not just your own health it's your family's health as mm. well yeah yeah, yeah. it's a bit of everything you know yeah we campaigned about aids mm. back in 1986 when nobody was talking about yeah. it. we were talking about venereal disease in the 1930s well, I think that's something else as well, isn't it? You, you've always seemed to be slightly ahead of the curve when it comes to tackling 
issues that maybe people don't even know they need to be tackling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think we need to, we know either. You know, I remember when we had the honeybees one. Mm. Um, it was unheard of when that resolution came in. Yeah. That there was an issue with honeybees at all. Yeah. Um, and, and yet, by now, everybody knows that there is a threat to society because of yeah. uh, the damage to honeybees. Um, and I think we'd probably be looking at um, raising that campaign again because they never die with us, they sleep for a little while, they go to sleep. So if something raises its ugly head again, yeah. we'll re-look at them and see what needs to be done because it looks as if the government uh, is giving an extension again to neonicotinoids for sugar beet yeah. for the coming year. Um, as a farmer, I know it's difficult, uh, but I also know we have to take a stance and these companies need to come up with an alternative that isn't damaging the bees and the nature yeah 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 they can do it yeah they just need that push to do it uh we also look after other women um so within the community here uh we run a strong campaign on normal violence against women so one of those <coughs> nasty me. things that hides and you think it's towns and cities but actually rural women suffer violence from men just as much as in towns and cities but it's it's hidden away and it's a taboo subject that shouldn't raise its ugly head so we go to the farmers market we talk to the farmers the the the, the rugby clubs um you know the police the fire brigade all of those and campaign with the men about that yeah um but not just that, we support the refuges that some of these women need to go to. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, happened recently was a WI got together with a local quilting group and they made over 50 beautiful quilts yeah. uh, to give to a domestic abuse charity. Because you, know, you go to one of these refuges, you're at the absolute bottom that you could possibly be. And you end up with things that are absolutely awful. Just to have a quilt that looks beautiful, has been made with love and care. Yeah. Just makes you feel valued again. Yeah. Because it's not the woman's fault. I think that's quite another important point as well, isn't it? That, um, you know, we touched on loneliness before as well, but you yeah. sometimes think that living in a in a town, living in a rural, in the rural countryside, you have different... Uh, issues, different worries, but actually, women are you, you know yeah you know you could be lonely in the middle of a city, you can be lonely in yeah. the middle of of the countryside. So it's nice you're some you know you're that kind of bridge as an as an organisation to 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 bring these people together. Exactly, um, and bring the different ages together as well, so that because uh, you, know, you know you could be in the city, you you left home. Being in university, got your first job, um, and you're lonely. You're actually missing mum, missing nan. Uh, and if you join a, a group like the WI, which are intergenerational, you'll get a sort of surrogate mum or nan, you know, because they love looking after you in a way. Um, yeah. Not, not overbearing on you, uh, just looking out for you. You're making a, a homemade cake for you and you've missed your mum's cooking. Yeah. Giving you a recipe to do something that you could do for yourself. You know, we've obviously just very briefly talked about, you know, the history of the WI. But 
But when you when you think, you know, how, how different it could have been, that's like a huge void in women's lives. And it's it's yeah. quite exceptional when you think, you know, of, of, yes. of its longevity. And I don't quite know what you would have put in its place if... Yeah, I think you're right. I've never thought about that void that would have been there in society if there wasn't um, a WI, because it is unique in that it's non-party political. Um, yeah, it's open to everyone that it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, the same cost to join uh, no matter where you live, um, and any woman can join. So, yeah, especially when you were talking about yeah, the early days when you were in a class society, that was difficult, that there would be an organisation where you could be... Um, the lady of the house or the housemaid uh, and you could mm. still join the same organization and break down those barriers yeah yeah um yeah i think probably because uh, our founders were suffrage suffragists not suffragettes they were the ones that fought quietly not the ones that chained themselves to mm. railings uh, but there were quite a few suffragettes in the movement as well so i think that probably gave that root of equality in it. Yeah, our communities would be, would have a huge empty void without us. And not just now, you know, throughout the years, you know, when you think about that Second World War, when, you know, the WI were called on to make those thousands of pounds of jam up and down the country and preserve chutneys, pickles, everything, preserving the food, getting people to grow their own food. How would they have got that message across? You know, they were very much involved in um, helping with the evacuees of the time. You know, many members put them out. So in, in the organising of uh, the evacuation process. Yeah. So, so many things. Um, I just wonder, would our environmental concerns, would they have been raised by somebody else? You know, who would have thought about equal pay for women? in the 1940s. Well, you've really made me think now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Anne and to Emily. And if you want to find out more about our Farming Can campaign, go to fginsight.com forward slash farming can. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, we'll be back with another episode of Over the Farmgate next Tuesday. But until then, we hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.